G'day, welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast. I'm Graham Curry, your host from Perth, Australia. I lost 60 kilos or 132 pounds living an intermittent fasting lifestyle, and I successfully maintained that weight loss now, coming up two years. I wanted to bring this series of podcasts to you to give you an insight into what it's like to living an intermittent fasting lifestyle. I'm also the author of the book, The Fasting Highway, which is a story of my journey overcoming chronic addiction to fast food and sugar and taking that walk from morbid obesity to normality. So sit back here with us on the Fasting Highway in the next few weeks and listen to some inspiring guests and some experts in the intermittent fasting community. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the show. G'day. Welcome to the Fasting Highway. And this is episode 61. So today I'm delighted to be joined by Alison Jones. And Alison is from the United Kingdom and she's 55 years old. And Alison's had a lot of struggles with her weight right throughout life. And her first attempt at losing weight was actually under the care of a hospital dietitian when she was just 10 years old. And Alison has also had some other problems with diabetes and also lymphedema, which she's going to tell us about in this podcast. So here to tell us about her amazing journey is Alison Jones. Oh, g'day, Alison, and welcome to the Fasting Highway, and thank you for joining me today. Uh, thank you for inviting me. It's good to be here. Oh, thank you so much. Um, you're a real pleasure in our Facebook group, the Fasting Highway, and we're all excitedly watching your journey unfold, and a, a journey it certainly is. So, Alison, for those people that may not know you outside the groups there, um, if you wouldn't mind just explaining a bit of your backstory and the issues you had in your life with your weight, etc., and also just how you sort of found your way to intermittent fasting. Okay. Well, um, quite possibly. I, I, you know, I, I wasn't born to be overweight. I was born really tiny, weighing a kilogram. But by the time I got to sort of uh, eight or nine, I put on weight. And by the time I got to 10, um, I was referred to a dietitian at the hospital. Um, that was a bit disastrous because, uh, uh, you know, she kept on accusing my parents of not telling the truth about what I was eating because uh, I just couldn't lose the weight. Even then, it took me until I was 12 to lose about five or six kilos. So, you know, a couple of years and I was still growing in height. Um, Anyway, I got my weight reasonably under control during my teens, and I I really gained it again after having my children. But I also developed a um, medical condition called lymphedema, uh, which is um, lymphatic fluid and swelling in my leg and feet. And that really didn't help. It didn't help with mobility. It didn't help with weight. Um, Life just continued on. when I was uh, about 30, about 37, 38, my weight went right up to 158 kilos, which is about 364 pounds, something like that. Um, and it, I was full of this, this, this swelling and, and too much fat from not walking around too much. And I was quite poorly. But I managed to get my weight back down to about 127 kilos, where it stayed for years. Anyway, I developed type 2 diabetes, and I controlled it reasonably well for about 
15, 16 years. And then the need for medication um, clicked in. And I think, uh, let me think about two years ago, they put me on insulin. And then my weight just skyrocketed. Um, I, it, you know, it went up to 136 kilograms on long-acting insulin. And then when they put me on mixed insulin, it then went up to 142 kilograms at the, well, August last year. So that, you know, that, that was a big issue. And for me, although I felt, you know, I didn't feel terribly attractive and I felt tubby and fat and whatever. The issue for me was, oh my goodness, I need to lose some weight because not only am I super morbid obese, I'm diabetic and I'm at high risk should I contract COVID, you know? Um, so I thought I need to do something about this. And I previously I'd done a little bit of um, uh, keto and low carb. And I don't, uh, but I thought, well, I'm, I'll try that again. And then I came across intermittent fasting. I, I've been doing it without realizing it for a little while. I, I hadn't been eating breakfast for quite a while. Um, so I eased in really sort of 16, 8 window or an 18, 6 window. Then on the 1st of September, I came across the concept of eating once a day. So I just dove in. That's fantastic. So just we'll run through your stats right when you first discovered intermittent fasting, so to speak, and then you went to that sort of one meal a day. Just give us your height, Alison, and also what you think your weight was around that time when you started IF. When I started IF in August, I was 142 kilograms. I am 165 centimetres tall, which is about five foot five for other people. Um... When I started one meal a day, I was 136 kilograms. So you're up around that 270, 280 pound mark, that sort of thing, and five foot six. So you're doing the 16 and eight, Alison. Um, what about we talk about the clean fast? Were you clean fasting from the start? Is that something you knew about then? Uh, I Yeah, actually interesting. I've, I've always clean fasted. Um, I I used to love my coffee with full of sugar and cream. And, it, it was more of a dessert than a coffee. And I decided when I wanted to get more healthy, I decided, right, black coffee, you know, and I'm not going to sort of like um, have a lot of sweeteners and things. I, I'd already um, made a connection to do with sweeteners with being diabetic, that if I eat something with artificial sweeteners in, it causes an insulin response. And the problem that diabetics have if they're type 2 often is hyperinsulinemia which is high insulin levels um, which stops the weight loss because insulin is a weight storing hormone so it was really important not to give my body those sort of false expectations of sugar yeah that's really good and i like what you said then about how it spikes your insulin that sort of artificial sugars and that sort of thing as well and mm. um Quite often we have people that say, oh, you know, I can drink diet sodas and whatever, or diet Coke, and it's not going to bother me during my fast. But they don't realize that can actually spike that insulin is what we don't want to do, of mm. course, during our fast. But I just want to circle back to your story there. When you were 10 and you mm. were put on those um, diets and that sort of thing, and you wound up in hospital, and 
it must have been quite a psychological blow to you as a young child as well. And was that something that stuck with you right through your formative years? Yes, because I never considered myself to be any different to my friends. I hadn't noticed my size and my friends hadn't. And so it became a shock to suddenly be different. And then, of course, by the time I went to uh, secondary school, you know, high school, um, of course, by then, people did comment. But by then, I'd lost a lot of weight, and I, was, I wasn't that big. But the whole idea about I mustn't be big, I mustn't take up a lot of space, stayed with me. Yeah, just that mental sort of mm. psychological thing, and then through your mm. school years, and then you, you left school and that sort of thing. Mm. And what sort of when your weight was gaining, was it just through your 20s, 30s, 40s, and just a steady sort of gradual climb? My weight was really steady through my teens and until I had my children. So I had my first child at 23, gained a bit with him. 13 months later, I had my second child, gained a bit with her. And then four years later, I had uh, my youngest and gained a bit with him. I am now back down to what I weighed when I had him because I gained an awful lot more over the years after that, you know. At my highest weight, I was um, 38. I was 38 years old at my highest weight. And yeah, just um, let's talk about the talk about the lymphedemia for a minute. Mm-hmm. You just explained sort of around what that was, but is it just a cause of the obesity as well, or is it just is there other some other things going on and behind the scenes with that? Right. Well, for me, there's a genetic factor. Uh, it runs in my family. It's not common, but it does run in my family. And what happened was, um, when I was about six, seven months pregnant with my eldest son, um, I got an injury on my leg. I think I was just bitten by something. Uh, it developed, I developed cellulitis really badly and ended up in hospital. Um, I was very, very ill. But what the cellulitis and that illness triggered was lymphedema. Um, I have it slightly in both legs, but it's particularly bad in my left leg. Um, at its worst, in 2003, my calf uh, measurement was 93 centimetres. It was almost impossible to walk because my calves were wider than my hips. Or, you know, it, it was very, um, you know, stability and things was very difficult. Um, so I had treatment, yeah. I had bandaging treatment and various things. And my, although my legs will never be completely normal, it's been too much damage, they're looking a lot more normal now. <laughs> yeah, and that must have affected so many things in your life. I mean, recreational things. And mm. what about things like just general, like sleeping and that sort of thing? Was that something that was hard for you when you had this lymphedemia like that? Uh, it was hard. And I also, I've forgotten this, but I also developed sleep apnea about the same time. So. At that particular point, I was in a CPAP machine at night as well. You know, so sleep was like, um, well, <laughs> it didn't happen much. <laughs> yeah. And so with the sleep apnea, how's that going now? I've not had it for years. It was just when I was at my highest. Um, yeah. And once I got rid of a lot of weight from around my, my neck, it got a lot better. I think it. Oh, know, that's good. I think it might have sort of like, you know, had odd bouts of it uh, more recently, but not that I noticed. Let's put it that way. Let's roll back now to 
when you started intermittent fasting, what were the sort of first few months like for you looking like as far as like weight loss goes, just how you generally felt, that type of thing? I was very fortunate. I lost weight very quickly. And that in itself is a massive incentive. Um, you know, uh, the swellings went down, the inflammation went down. Uh, within uh, a week, I stopped my insulin and I was okay to stop it. Um, so, you know, there was a really fast improvement. Um, although it's been quite, it's been much slower in the last three months, the initial loss of sort of 20, 25 kilos, you know, really set things up for me and made it so much easier to stick to it because of all the health benefits. Yeah, so you lost around, what's that, 20, 30 pounds, something like that. And then the health benefits started kicking in for you and just your general wellness. And it must have been so great to see that swelling go down in your legs. And mm. were you taking pictures and things like that and making comparisons? I've got a few pictures, yeah. I've always avoided taking pictures of my legs, to be honest, um, because it just was so mentally painful um, to look at it. Yeah. You know. I had taken some pictures recently. Um, but, yeah, I mean, basically, I lost um, – you know, sort of three, three and a half stone, which is 40, 45, 50 pounds, you know, within three months. And that made such a difference. And mentally as well, I guess, that sort of psychological thing we talk about, um, that must have been coming pretty good for you as well. It, it is, yes. I mean, now the weight's coming off much more slowly. Um, I'm having to remind myself of the real reasons I'm doing it, which is health, primarily. Yep. Um, and sort of pull the bootstraps up a bit, you know, when I've, my weight's been stable for about a month and not really moved, I'm thinking, oh, you know. But I have to remind myself that it's about so much more than what the scale says. Absolutely, 100% right. And um, I say to everybody that I'm in my group or I mentor personally, I say, look, even though I've lost a massive amount of weight, 60 kg, 132 pounds, for me, this lifestyle is so much more than just the weight. I mean, here you are talking about the things that happen to you, the psychological aspect of looking at those legs every day and seeing them reduce in that first three months. It must have been amazing. I can't imagine what that's like and how you felt in general. And so let's just give everybody a picture of, okay, you, you just mentioned what you sort of lost in those first few months. So just tell them exactly how long you've been doing fasting now and what sort of total weight loss are you looking at right at this point in time? Right. Well, I've been fasting on a sort of a, a one meal a day since the 1st of September. So, and my weight loss is about 30 kilos now, which is ooh, 60, something odd pounds. <laughs> 66, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, in seven months, 66 pounds or 30 odd kilos, that's amazing in itself. And, um, Let's talk about your one meal a day lifestyle for a minute. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people sort of don't quite get the definition of what we call OMAD or one meal a day. For some people, it's that restaurant style like myself. I look at it as a uh, where I'll open with a starter or an entree in some countries, and then I'll move to a main course. And then if I feel like it, I might have some berries or something or whatever mm -hmm. for dessert. And I might have a cream in my coffee or something like that. So for you, was that one meal a day more of the restaurant style or was it just one plate a day? Um, generally, it's one plate a day. But I am flexible. 
So like today, after I've recorded this, um, I'm going out to do some gardening and yard work and some quite heavy, you know, work. So I may well um, open my, my eating window slightly earlier and have a, a small stack up to that. A small snack, um, and then an hour or two afterwards, have a a big you know plate full. Um, but generally, yeah, it's just one plate. Um, I really have been trying to um, completely obliterate my sweet tooth. Um, anything sweet to me just starts up a whole load of cravings. So as much as I love fruit, I have to. Um, be very sparing with things like that and I don't do keto desserts either um I think at Christmas I did a few keto desserts and I I gained a bit of sort of um water weight and stuff and so I thought well, it's not actually doing me any good so yeah I'm pretty clear I eat pretty clean but I have to because of my blood sugar yeah so prior to IF and everything else when you were at your highest weight and that sort of thing would it be fair to say that you, you thought that you had a problem with things like sugar? Like, was it at a point where you actually thought you were like a sugar addict? Yeah, I think so. And I was diabetic at that point. I was diagnosed with diabetes in 2001. So, yes, I knew that. Um, but I just found it dif- difficult to to control. At that particular point in my life, I had uh, all three children at home. They were teenagers. The house was full of you know sort of things that teenagers eat and I just didn't have the um the strength of character at that point to do something about it I think I I just sort of I comfort it and uh you know made me feel good and I think I I drank too much as well and that didn't help because it meant that my resolve was sort of weak late at night and then I'd go and you know have a fried cheese sandwich or um you know eat a load of crisps or whatever, you know, or some, you know, donuts. Um, yeah, I just wasn't in a good place, I think, then. Yeah, and I think that's important to sort of realise that as well and you flip the switch now and you're eating, a, you know, clean whole foods and you're clean fasting and you've lost this weight. I mean, that's – and coming from a person that you're talking to here and myself, I was probably one of the worst sugar addicts, fast food addicts going on this planet. And on a scale of 10, I was an 11. (laughs) And um, that mind shift that you have to have and that mental sort of capacity and everything else and the determination, a lot of people don't understand that, Alison. They just think that, you know, oh, why don't you stop? But it's not that simple. I mean, when you – sugar addiction and things like that is a disease. It's not easy just to stop it in a switch, like, you know, turn it off overnight. And when you do do that, you've got to go through some pretty dark times before you can get past it. So let's talk about things like in your early stages. I mean, obviously, you're coming from a place where you were eating that sort of food and, and now you really turned the corner. What about your sort of hunger in that? Did you find hunger an issue? Because we talk about two types of hunger, don't we? We have that head hunger where it's like, oh, man, I'm so hungry. I'm going to go out and chase a horse and get the jockey. Or it's that hunger where I'm not feeling that great today or my body's not feeling it or I feel a bit off or Hey, I'm gonna have to. I've got some heavy work coming up in the yard. I've got to go maybe have something beforehand. Did you find that there was two types of hunger for you? Yes, there's two types of hunger. There still is. Um, I still, you know, have the mind games of head hunger pretty much every day. I never completely get over that. 
you know, uh, particularly if I'm tired, it'll be, well, why don't you just have a little snack? And I have to really sort of like uh, pull on my bootstraps and say no. But it can be quite difficult. Um, physical hunger-wise, um, initially when I started fasting, yes, I was physically hungry. But because I'd done keto and low-carb before, I um, took the advice on that particular lifestyle and made sure that I had plenty of healthy fat to help keep me from being too too hungry. And I think also I just thought, well, I've got to get through this, you know. And I, after about, well, about two or three days, I felt a lot better. So the physical hunger thing um, is not so much an issue, but mental hunger is. Yeah, for sure. I agree with you. And, and certainly once you learn to decipher between the two and recognize and listen to your body, and, and I say to people, if you're getting that feeling where you're hungry and it's just not going away and you're distracting yourself and you're having a big glass of water and you're doing things and it's just nagging at you and, and you're really not feeling that great, then you know maybe it's okay to open your window a bit earlier that day. But if it's just that hunger where you walk past a bakery or you see somebody eating something and you think, oh, I want that, then that's the mental hunger. So that's important to remember. So, Alison, I think what you are doing there is fantastic and you seem to be on this path really well. Are you tweaking things? Have you changed from the 16 and 8 at all? Have you done anything like extended fasting? Yes, I tweak things quite regularly. Um, I like to keep my body guessing as much as I can because I think that helps with weight loss. And seeing as my weight loss is very slow at the moment, you know, it helps. So... Um, on the run up to Christmas in December, I did um, alternate day fasting, um, which was uh, quite um, helpful for me. Um, I, at one point, I was doing 48 hour fasts. Uh, now, if I alternate day fast, I do shorter fasts, so I might have a 500 calorie meal. Because the main reason for this is, is the mind shift. Um, of this is my lifestyle, this is what I do, I do this for good, this is part of my journey, I don't need to rush, I don't need to be harsh on myself, you know, I just need to, you know, be consistent. So I, I do less long, um, you know, long fast without having eaten anything at all, although I am thinking about maybe including the odd long fast when I've lost a little bit more weight, basically for the benefit of autophagy, you know, just to help, you know, my body cleaning up its, uh, you know, sort of um, old cells and help with, you know, rejuvenation and so forth, which, of course, intermittent fasting and extended fasting is very good for. This is why we all look yeah, just, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's cell regeneration. I mean, I'm not a person that's done the longer fast myself. I mean, I've always been a person that wanted to eat once a day. So with my lifestyle of intermittent fasting, the only time I fasted past 23 hours was purely by accident once. Mm -hmm. But I really understand why people do it. And I've had some great people on this podcast. I don't know if you've listened to yeah. Rachel Award in episode six. Um, she gave a great explanation about alternate day fasting, if anybody wants to go back and listen to that. We had Roxy Marino on here that runs the Mealless Mondays uh, on the Delay Don't Deny Facebook communities. So just explain for people that are listening with the alternate day fasting, that 500 calorie option that you do, what's that all about? And also the importance of that refeed day that they talk about. Right. Okay. I, I read a book by Jim Stevens called Fast, Feed, 
fast feast repeat and um, basically uh, she talks about alternate day fasting um, and she said well if you can do um, your fast day without eating at all fine but if you need to eat you can eat up to 500 calories and the idea is that on uh, a fast day just have a 500 calories once a day in one little meal uh, lots of black coffee lots of water and then on feast days you literally just feast um, you know, so some people we eat three meals a day. I don't. I still stay round about one meal a day or small snack and uh, one meal a day. But I eat, I eat calories. I eat lots of calories on my feast days. You know, so my body's not feeling deprived. Um, but I get the benefits, and on the fast days, on autophagy and um, fat burning and extended ketosis because I for me personally I do a low low carb diet although uh, uh, Jean Stevens herself apparently does a much high carb more carb oh gosh more high carb diet um, yeah it's yeah. um really interesting actually what what you were just saying then about the 500 calorie sort of a meal and I guess some people go straight through and it still must be a lot of discipline I mean to fast that long I mean, you just mentioned there that you've done a, a couple of the 48-hour ones and that sort of thing, and I don't know what sort of mindset's involved around that and then to be able to go back to your normal fasting protocol, but mm. is this something that you're sort of going to maybe long-term, when you're thinking about the long-term, let's talk about that for a minute. I mean, when a lot of us that are obese and we get to that point in our lives where we think the mountain's too high to climb and we more or less accept the fact that this is our lot, we're going to be obese for life. Did you ever get to that point? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, uh, but then I guess the, um, the pandemic and everything made me so vulnerable uh, to potentially dying. Um, but it was a bit of a wake up call. I thought, well, no, I don't, you know, I've got 10 grandchildren. I don't want to, I don't want to die. I don't want to get ill. So that was basically what turned the switch for me in that one. Wow, you got ten grandchildren. I have, yes. Well, there's a, there's ten reasons right there, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. And the other thing is, um, you know, you just mentioned the COVID there, and obviously in the United Kingdom it's been quite bad. I mean, here in Australia we've been very fortunate, um, particularly where I live in Western Australia, we really haven't been affected, apart from the fact we can't travel anywhere or we for a certain time we couldn't go to the other states in Australia. But... Um, yeah, life for us has been pretty normal here. So with the pandemic and things like that, and knowing that obesity was a high risk for you, it must have been terrifying just even thinking about leaving the house. I didn't. I haven't left the house much in the last year. I mean, we've been in national lockdown now for four months. It's our second national lockdown. Um, I got to the stage where the government put me in the shielded group where, where basically, you know, sort of like, um, you know, I, I didn't have to go to work or anything like that. Um, yeah, it was pretty frightening. I'm lucky because my husband was able to go out and do, get shopping and stuff. Um, and I think I went out a couple of times in the summer when they lifted the restrictions slightly. So that was when I sort of saw saw some of the grandkids quickly, you know. But that's been it. I've not seen the family for a year, essentially. 
Yeah, and that's quite stressful for your husband too, I suppose, because he's going out and about when the pandemic's running right there and he knows that you're sort of compromised there a bit. And the interesting fact is, Alison, here in Australia, I talked to the doctor's surgery the other day about the COVID vaccine, which is getting rolled out in earnest here this week. Um, They're really getting stuck into it. But when I had a look at the list of prioritised people, um, on there was if you were obese and you had a BMI of over 40, you were right up there. You were one of the, the first categories of people that they wanted to vaccinate. So that tells you something, doesn't it, how worried they would be if somebody that was obese actually you know, got COVID. And I thought, well, and the doctor said to me, well, you have no underlying conditions, you're fit, you're healthy, which is really weird to hear where you not that long ago, you know, I was you know, up where you were, 360 odd pounds. And um, all of a sudden they're telling me that I'm healthy and I've got to be down the bottom of the pile. And that's fine by me. There's obviously people that need it way before me and I'm cool with that. But it goes to show you that obesity, not only the COVID thing, but so many other diseases we're at risk of if we don't do something about it. So I really applaud you for taking stock of this at this point in your life. So I want to talk to you about appetite correction, which is something that we talk about a lot in the intermittent fasting communities. And I know prior to IF, it's well documented in my book, The Fasting Highway, and in the Facebook groups, that I had no off button with food. I could eat more food probably in a day than most people could eat in a week. But then intermittent fasting really corrected my appetite, um, which came at about the two-month mark where Basically, I really noticed that I just couldn't chug down the food like I used to. Was that something that happened to you? Yes, I think so. Um, for the first few weeks, um, I almost inhaled my meal, you know, it was like, <gasps> food. Um, but then gradually, um, yeah, it became, you know, I ate a bit more slowly. I ate a bit more mindfully. Um, you know, I realised I was full. Um, you know, it, so it did happen. It, it, it took a few weeks. But it certainly happened. Yeah. And I really love that, what you just said then about the slow and the mindfully as well. And that's what happens as well with intermittent fasting, I found. And like you, I was just a human hoover with food, right? And I just chuck it on a plate. I didn't care about the presentation. I just wanted it down. That was all there was to it. And then when I started intermittent fasting and I was doing the one meal a day, it almost became theatrical. It was like a, a whole sort of theatre scene where you'd prepare the meal, you'd have all this beautiful colour, and you'd, you'd, you'd take your time and you'd really make it lovely. And then you'd sit down and you'd savour it and you'd taste it. And I always say, well, 40 years of my life, Alison, I tasted addiction. I didn't taste food. I just tasted volume. And now I taste food. I savour it mindfully, slowly. And so I say to everybody out there, if you get to that stage where you're white knuckling, and what we mean by that is you might have an hour to go to your window opens and you're so hungry and, and it is a genuine head hunger, your mental playing on you, oh, I've only got 45 minutes, I need to eat, I need to eat. And that window opens and bang, you just go hard at it. Then one of the ways you can get around that is by having a higher fat snack. Even something like avocado that's very high in fat or some cheese or something and just takes the edge off and slows you down and then have that pause before you have that main meal. Is that something like you sort of try and do? I do sometimes, yes. Um, if I'm feeling particularly, you know, particularly hungry and a little bit sort of irritable with it, then, yeah, I will um, eat a slice of cheese or something while I'm sort of preparing the meal, just sort of like, um, you know, just to slow it all down a little bit. I try not to, 
but I do sometimes. Yeah. You just mentioned mood there. What was your mood like with intermittent fasting? Did that change at all? You strike me as you've always been a pretty bubbly type of person and, <laughs> and that sort of thing. But, I mean, mood-wise, you mentioned you had a few hangry moments like we all do. Um, man, when I was going through the sugar addiction, uh, addiction withdrawal, I'm sure my wife thought I was a devil spawn. I mean, I just turned, you know, pretty, not nasty, but, you know, just bad mood swings, that sort of thing, which is very uncharacteristic for me. But And then you know, I found intermittent fasting was really correcting that, and it was making me much more calmer and almost like an inner peace sort of feeling. Did you, did you strike that? Yes, it's interesting that uh, my husband mentioned something the other day to me, actually, about uh, I'm very stable. Because um, actually, I'm actually bipolar. And um, yeah, I used to get terrible sort of mania and depression. But since I've been intermittent fasting and um, eating clean, my moods are completely stable. Um, it's really helped. It's helped with my, um, oh, just the way I look at myself as well, you know, um, because I am, or I was, a bit of an introvert, you know. Um, uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm learning to be more confident and everything. And it just seems to be part of this process that I, my body's work and my, my brain are working properly, you know. And, um, you know, it's helping with everything else, including issues of mental health. Yeah, I think that's so great. And obviously the exercise side of things, that's been quite hard for you with the lipidema mm-hmm. restrictive that sort of thing mm-hmm. and now you've sort of lost a fair bit of weight are you thinking about maybe doing some type of movement even if it's not mm-hmm. running or walking it might be some other sort of form of exercise in, in your home yeah I, I do exercise um i walk some days but what i like to do is i've got a stationary bike and i like to do high intensity interval training on it where i really sort of like you know really go for it <laughs> you know yeah. get all sweaty and out of breath and and I also do some weight training at home as well so my favorite things are suspension straps which you suspend from the door and you sort of like the body weight pull-ups and all that sort of thing with them um because I'm very lucky in one respect and my body type um I'm naturally very broad very stocky and naturally very muscular so weight training is brilliant for me because I'm just, you know, it's, it's just a natural fit. Yeah. Yeah, and there's always something we can do, isn't there, mm-hmm. regardless of what sort of is striking us down. But and big props to your husband too, by the way. Just you mentioned there that he was going out and helping you and get the groceries and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. And and I, I want to talk about the support network for a minute from your family, your friends. I mean, obviously, you haven't seen a lot of people because of the national lockdown there. And what's really interesting for me is speaking to people in the UK. You may have heard me speak to Gary Metcalf, uh, Andy Watson, two guys that lost over 100 pounds. Mm. I mean, when they finally go back to their office, <laughs> people aren't even going to recognize them. And the security you know, facial features aren't going to recognize them either. Mm. So... That's going to be fun for you. So what's that support? I mean, you mentioned your husband, but have the rest of your family been on board with you doing this? Yes, yeah. Um, I think my my elder two children um, have some ex, you know, to some extent to go, oh, uh, mum's on an eating plan again. <laughs> but they've not been unsupportive. They've just not, you know, necessarily been my cheerleaders. Uh, my youngest son has. He's been very supportive. 
Um, he doesn't live with us. He lives in Wales. So, you know, it's the occasional conversation with him. Um, now, my father's been very supportive of me. Um, he's been quite emotional because um, we lost my mother last year. And he was been saying, oh, you know, your mum would have been so proud of you. You know, that's been quite emotional. Um, friends, yeah, friends have been very supportive. I made a point, and it's been very uncomfortable to do it, but on my Facebook, I have documented my weight loss journey with photographs, uh, with, you know, talking about what I'm doing. Um, you know, I'm not all the photographs to be flattering. There's lots of before and after transition photos. Um, and I've really sort of put it out there for people. Um, if I, thought I can help somebody, I will. Um, and the feedback I've got from all I've got Facebook friends all over the world, and uh, the feedback I've had has been incredible. Um, I've had friends who are in the health um, industries in the states and places say, "We've been sharing your story with clients, Rio, um, and so on." Um, so that's really my aim. I've never put my numbers out there, you know, my weight out there. This is the first time for that. Um, but, um, you know, everything else has, has been out there. Um, so, yeah, uh, I'm documenting it very, very well for, uh, to help other people. Yeah, I think that's very noble as well. And it is something that happens to us, doesn't it? We find the sentiment of fasting. We find it's such a great lifestyle. We love it. You know, we feel so great. And we all know how many things we've all tried throughout our life, Alison. I mean, I've tried so many times to, you know, all sorts of weird and wonderful things to lose weight, crazy things. And then intermittent fasting to me was the only thing that was ever sustainable. And for me, the, the real proof in the pudding of IF was when I got the weight off, the 60 kilos, I thought, right, how am I going to keep the weight off? Because so many times we see people that lose an immense amount of weight and they regain it. And quite often we see these like shows on television or whatever it may be where they get these really obese people and they put them in a, lock them in a house and they just flog them with exercise every day and they lose this massive amount of weight. And then we see them a year later and they've regained most of it, if not more. And you sort of think, wow, but that's the stats. I mean, we're looking at 90% of people that lose over 100 pounds will regain it in no time at all, really. But with intermittent fasting, a number of people that I know in this lifestyle, obviously, you know, literally hundreds of them all around the world, most of them do not regain the weight. And I know two years on nearly with myself, I've stayed within about a two kilo or four pound range of where I got down to. And that's that's a sustainable thing for me. And you talked about the sharing thing. And that's why I decided to start this podcast, because I was convinced about it. Because obviously, I don't want to come on here and talk about a thing I, I, I didn't believe in. And that's why I wrote a book, because I thought, like you, if I can help somebody and motivate somebody and they pick up that book and they see my story and they see it's possible, they might just try it. But were the doctors onto you at all prior to IF about things like weight loss reduction surgery or anything like that? Uh, no. Um, uh, they, they were always, well, you know, you need to lose some weight. But, you know, I thought, well, yes, I know that. <laughs> but I think because I've been so large for so long, I think they've pretty much given up, really, with me, you know, in terms of, oh, well, she's just going to be like that, isn't she? Um, but the interesting thing was about, um, 
back in January, I had my diabetic bloods done, the HbA1c. And so one of the GPs at a doctor's practice phoned me up and said, I've got to talk to you. Uh, your HbA1c has gone down to 7.5 or 39, depending on which unit you use, which is in the non-diabetic range. How on earth have you done that? So I was able to tell him. <laughs> and he was absolutely gobsmacked. He really was. I mean, he wanted to know all sorts of details about it. And he you know, was totally amazed. He said, well, you know, you, you, you're doing the impossible here. Yeah. And that's probably, he's gone away and he's probably done some research now mm. and that sort of thing. And mm. hopefully he'll be sort of telling people about that. And mm. we, we are seeing more medical people get on board, aren't we, Alison? We're hearing that more and more. And, you know, the, there was a paper that came out in 2019. Well, actually, it was a summary more than a paper from Dr. Mark Matson of the New England Journal of Medicine, mm. uh, December 2019, where it was really a summation of a number of intermittent fasting studies. And the New England Journal of Medicine is the premier medicine journal in the world, which GPs and doctors all over the world read. And so when that came out, I think that was a real shift. And I know here in Australia, we never really used to hear about intermittent fasting at all here. I mean, it was never in the media. It was never mainstream. And, and now it seems like you can't go a week without watching TV and intermittent fasting. And you're seeing more television programs come up where actors will say to somebody they're dating, oh, you know, I'm, I'm intermittent fasting. And that word is coming up. So, yeah, it's really interesting. So in the UK... Alison, I know you haven't seen a lot of people and that sort of thing. And I know here in Australia, the obesity rates are getting worse and worse. Would that be fair to say the same thing in the UK? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Um, you know, people just getting bigger and bigger. And uh, it's now almost normal to be overweight at the very least. And I mean, we're both in our, our 50s. I mean, you're around 55, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm 58. And um I always have people, people will say to me, oh, you know, I'm in my 50s. Oh, it's too late for me. I don't want to start now. So what have you got to say to those people that say it's too late to start? Uh, just start. <laughs> yeah. One thing I find very interesting is, is uh, um, you know, in various groups, I talk to a lot of women my sort of age, and they all go on about menopause weight gain. Oh, you know, I've, I've gained weight around my middle, and oh, I can't lose weight. It's terrible. And I'm saying, well, you just need to watch out for your sugar and flour, particularly, and intermittent fast. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, the proofs in the pudding when they look at you. And <laughs> what I find, Alison, is that, I mean, you haven't probably experienced this as much as I have, but people in the, sometimes in the beginning, they can be negative or sort of halfway through, they're still negative. And then I always remember the most negative people are the people that now are doing intermittent fasting, funny enough. Mm. And um, they're on this journey too, and they're having great results. And I think let your results do the talking is what I'm saying. You know, if you're having people that are arguing with you about this lifestyle or they're, they're giving you pushback about it, don't worry about it. Just walk away. Let your results do the talking. They'll come back to you and they'll gravitate towards you and start asking you questions at a later time. So, yeah, I think you've got a lot to look forward to. So, Alison, we're going to wrap the podcast up soon, but. What I wanted to get from you was um, if there's somebody out there that might have been in a similar situation to you, you know, you had all these health issues and problems and that sort of thing, and you just turned a corner with this incredible mindset that you have, what advice would you give them where to start? Just start on day one. 
Yeah, just, uh, you know, um, uh, eat yourself in if you need to. Um, so if you need to have two meals, have two meals. But gradually um, decrease your eating window. Um, eat real food, you know. Um, make a, an agreement with yourself not to eat junk. Um, don't be hard on yourself. Um, it's a journey. And, you know, um, you know, every day you're moving forward. Um, if you mess up, don't worry. You can start again tomorrow. Yeah, I think that's great advice too, is not to get too hooked up if you do not make a mistake because we don't make mistakes in this lifestyle. It's just, you know, next day you just regroup, reset, yeah. realign, reimagine all the R's and just get back right to it. And quite often, Alison, I get messages from people on a Monday and they say to me, oh, man, I've had this big weekend and I've gained four pounds or five pounds and I'm going to do a 40-hour fast now. And I say to them, look, you don't have to do a 40-hour fast because you had a nice weekend and and you ate too much or you drank too much. Mm. You just got to think about it, learn from it. What are your health goals? What do you want to do? What's the end game here? Where do you want to be? What's your focus? Do you want to do that? Then fine. Your progress is going to be a lot slower. You don't want to do it. Your progress is going to be a lot faster. So that's up to you. I want to really follow you up again because I think your story is so interesting. And I think in six months' time, the health benefits and weight loss and everything like that are totally going to look different again. And, and by then you would have been out of lockdown, hopefully, and, you know, circulating with people and back into your mainstream life. So I think in six months' time we'll catch up again, but I can't tell you what a pleasure it's been. And Alison Jones, thank you for joining me here on the Fasting Highway. Thank you for having me. Okay, thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Alison. Thoroughly enjoyed that chat with you, and I think you're a real shining light for this lifestyle. And I think some of those things that you talked about in the podcast really resonated with so many people. And I'm so glad that you've managed to reverse your diabetes and you've seen that lymphedema greatly improve. And to lose 30 kilos or 66 pounds in just six or seven months is quite amazing. And I can't wait to re-interview you again in another six months time to see where you are on your journey but anyway i'd also like to thank everybody out there that's been buying my book the fasting highway on amazon and both paperback and kindle about my own journey uh, thank you so much the response has been great and also coming up next week we're going to be speaking to farnoosh brook and the interesting thing about farnoosh is is her insight into mindset and farnoosh is known on instagram is their perfect living and those of us who follow Farnoosh know just what an incredible person that she is so don't forget that insight into mindset and you can really learn something about to apply to your intermittent fasting journey and until then be well be safe and remember clean fasting is everlasting